Greetings and welcome to Flanagan's Ecologic. I am your host, Ted Flanagan, and today I'm joined by Janice Lynn. She's the founder and the chief executive officer of Stratagen, a consulting firm based in Sacramento, California. Janice is considered a clean energy change maker and visionary. I'm delighted to have her on the podcast today. Hi, Janice. Welcome to the podcast. How are you today? Doing great. Good morning, Ted. Where where are you as we speak? I am sitting in my home office in Berkeley, California. Uh, you're in Berkeley, and then Strategies, you have an office in Sacramento. Is you you commuting back and forth quite a bit, or? You know, actually, our office in Sacramento is virtual. Uh, originally, our headquarters was in Berkeley, but during the pandemic, we took a survey, and nobody wanted an office anymore. So, we have staff literally scattered all over the place, uh, from Greece to Mexico, all over the United States. Well, what do you, what now you've got these great projects we're going to talk a lot about, but what are you working on this week? What's, what's hot on your, uh, on your to-do list this week? Well, um, I've been spending a lot of time on green hydrogen, one of my favorite topics in clean energy. And just this week, I've been working on constructing and finalizing our program for our annual conference. Catalyst H2, which is a green hydrogen conference that's intended to accelerate progress for a clean and just transition uh, and really help stakeholders understand and incorporate the incredible role of green hydrogen to help us end our dependency on fossil fuels. Well, that's uh, that's fantastic. And and I think you told me that's coming up in December. Is that right? So Yes, it's December 4th through 6th at the Hotel Maya in Long Beach. And so here we are in, in May and you're nailing down the program at this point and finalize, buttoning up all the details. Not completely finalizing it. I mean, uh, it's still six months away. So I have a vision for what the show will do. Um, I have a vision for how I want people to feel at this conference. But of course, a lot can happen between now and December. So uh, we always leave room for flexibility to accommodate the latest and greatest developments. Now, I'm jumping ahead, but I, as I understand it, you've got Stratagen, which is your consulting firm, and then the Green Hydrogen right. Coalition that you have founded and manage is a nonprofit. Is that right? And so you balance these two right. aspects of your life? Yes, I, yeah, I wear multiple hats. So I am the founder of Stratagen. We're a mission-driven consulting firm that specializes in accelerating the clean energy transition. And uh, we really specialize in market development, sort of that intersection of how do you create a business model, a bankable value proposition? How do you innovate in the regulatory landscape, very important in the energy sector, how do you model alternative future outcomes? And finally, how do you bring stakeholders together in a co-creative, constructive way so you can actually achieve progress? Mm. So that's what Stratagen is all about. Additionally, over the years, see, I founded the company in 2005. Uh, we have successfully launched and run three nonprofits. The first was the California Energy Storage Alliance. I think it might have been in that capacity that we first met. I, think I so, served yeah. as, yeah, the part-time executive director for more than a decade. Um, then we launched the Vehicle Grid Integration Council, which represents 
EVs, mostly, um, you know, car, car manufacturers, charging companies represent um, electric vehicles as a strategic grid resource. And uh, almost four years ago now, I started the Green Hydrogen Coalition, which is an educational nonprofit surprise, surprise, whose mission <laughs> is to accelerate a clean and just energy transition economy-wide, because that's the power of that little green green hydrogen molecule. It's really great. And, and this is, I take it, this is, this speaks to who you are. I mean, you've got the, you've got the business side, clearly, and then you've got the educational side. Is that, I mean, they're linked together, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it, it, it's really true. I was reflecting on this the other day with a friend and, you know, what I do is sort of a culmination of everything I've done in my professional life. It's this interesting mashup of strategy consulting, um, you know, convening stakeholders and events with innovation, business innovation, market innovation, policy and regulatory innovation. Um, you know, most days I feel extremely lucky to be doing what I'm doing because yeah. I just couldn't imagine a more fun job every day. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I did visit your website and I just, the way you frame things up, Janice, is really, I, I love the way it's written. And I love this notion of bankable business model development that, you know, we're in this clean energy transition. We're accelerating, you know, that's our passion is accelerating the transition avoiding the climate crisis as best we can, but but not just business model development, but bankable ones, things that are gonna really be practical. Yeah, and you know, what we do is we bring a lot of creativity to the task. I think a lot of times uh, innovation, especially in energy is all about driving down costs, um, which is very important. And we, of course, especially for hydrogen, that is super duper important. And there's lots of ways to do that by scale, you know, we can talk a couple hours about just that topic. Yeah. <laughs> but what we love to explore and innovate on is the benefit side of the equation. Because remember, bankability is, and a value proposition, is the difference between costs and benefits. And there are many, many creative things you can do on that side of the equation. Um, I think the evolution of energy storage in the power sector is a great example of how innovation in the regulatory and policy side enabled access to those benefits and a new way of planning and implementing our electric infrastructure. I think the same opportunity exists for green hydrogen. Let, let's go all the way back just for a couple minutes uh, for the sake of our audience. Where did you grow up, Janice? Where, where was home? I grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia, and when I was in middle school, my family moved to Taipei. So I spent some years in Taipei and uh, ultimately graduated high school there and then came back to Philadelphia for college. Yeah, you did. You went to UPenn. It looks like you got a, you got a BA and a, and a BS. Is that right? Yes, I did. Um, I was completely undecided of what to do. And having recently lived in Taiwan, I thought, oh, you know, maybe international business is my thing. And so I got a dual degree in economics um, from the business school and international relations from the arts and sciences school. And upon graduation, I immediately went into strategy consulting in New York City. And that was, was that, was that Booz, Booz Allen? 
Yes, it was uh, 40th and Park Avenue. Yeah, <laughs> that's my hometown, by the way. Oh, really? How did so you met? You mentioned the 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 trans the part of your youth growing up in Taipei. What what were you into there? I mean, you you mentioned inter international relations, but what as a as a kid, where did you think you were going to be? Did you have any idea what kind of a career you were going to have? Well, um, you know, I'll I'll share that uh, uh, my objective as a young person was to be independent and to do my own thing, um, largely because I grew up in a family that was very Confucian. There are rules for my brothers and rules for me. And uh, uh, the rules for the youngest child, who was also a girl, um, in my view, <laughs> were very fair. So uh, my primary um, MO as a young person was get out there, get a job, be independent. Yeah. Um, I didn't discover the mission-driven aspect of my purpose until much later in life. Yeah. So for the first part of my career, I was a generalist, first working for very large companies through Booz Allen. I love the thrill of very tough, solving very tough problems. And uh, then I found my way into venture capital. Also as a generalist, different set of problems. And I said, wow, you know, these young companies and startups, this is really exciting. I love this. And it took the dot, the first dot-com bubble burst to really make me reevaluate. Is this what I really want to do? <laughs> and I'll share with you the moment. I, I remember this moment clearly. It was in 1999, um, you know, a lot of these venture funded dot coms were falling over all over the place. At the time, I was co-founding a software startup. And I just had this epiphany moment that, um, you know, this, this work is not feeding my soul. This mm -hmm. is not yeah. what I love. It's not bringing any good at all into the world. And I need to change up the whole enterprise. If I'm going to spend this much time working on something, it has to do some good in the world. Yeah. And I've always been an outdoorsy person. So it's either going to be renewable energy or garbage recycling. Yeah. Of course, yeah. I had zero experience in either one of those fields. And as luck would have it, there was a solar energy company two miles from my house that had an opening. <laughs> That's how I got into clean energy and the best decision I ever made. Along the way, you so that was Powerlight, but along the way, yeah. you picked up an MBA. Was that before Powerlight? It was before, yes. Okay, okay, and that was at Stanford, and then and then that I, I take it that's what moved you to California, was your graduate school. I actually I came to California before graduate school to work at a VC firm, and uh, so dirt before and during business school, I was like really deep into the tech world. I, I was the um, you know chair of the MIT Stanford Venture Lab, and the moment I had this epiphany and decided to get into solar energy, this was really early. This was in 1999. I had this big you know big shot board of venture capitalists that <laughs> on the board of the it was called V Lab, the MIT. I think it still exists, Stanford Venture Lab, and every single one of them called me up and they were like Janice. What are you doing? Why are you getting into solar? <laughs> you don't realize 
that is such a fringy thing and you're giving up your career in tech. And I, I, I just had all my rationale. I'm like, guys, you don't understand. Distributed energy is the way to go. We can make electricity from sun. <laughs> Well, you had that, you had that, and you've always, you, I guess you've always been a little bit ahead. You've been ahead on the solar, you've been ahead on the storage, you've been ahead on the green hydrogen, which we're going to get into. But uh, that, and what was the, those, those early days at PowerLite, pretty exciting, right? Lots going. Oh, it was so much fun. I joined PowerLite and I said, wow, this is so great. First of all, people in solar are like super nice and super fun. Um, I just love the people and the mission. And this was at a time when I, I think when I joined the solar industry, solar was like five or six bucks a watt. I was going to say at least four, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was really expensive. Yeah. And, um, and then about two months after I joined, we had the energy crisis. It, it was quite a ride. Yeah. Um, but I, I never, I mean, I, I always tell people that solar is my first love and yeah. Yeah. So anyway, it's funny because all these big shot venture capitalists were telling me, oh, you're making such a big mistake. And then within a few years, they were all, you know, investing in hydrogen. I'm sorry, in solar. Yep. And um, and then when I got into uh, then I started Stratagen and our second client was a vanadium redox flow battery. So I got started working on energy storage. and I said, wow, this is the future. So we're going to have all this cheap solar and wind and all these renewables, and we're going to have to store it. Now, was that, was that Avalon batteries at the time? Who was that? It was VRB Power Systems. They don't exist anymore. Yeah. Um, but Avalon is, you know, whenever one company goes away, the people disperse. Yeah. And Avalon, I would say, is uh, maybe, a, you know, there, there are people from that the original VRB. <laughs> And now, and now Avalon is Infinity. Now Avalon is Infinity, and they just did a really big deal with the California Energy Commission. I don't know if you heard about it. Biggest. Yeah, it's it's so exciting, and yeah. you know, I love going to uh, storage and solar conferences. It's a little like a family reunion. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, when I got into storage, it was the same thing. Everybody is like, "Why are you doing this? It's so crazy." And uh, and then a few years later, um, you know, it's kind of a thing. And I, I'm so proud of the work that we did in the early days on storage because I think it, we were able to work with some amazing leaders that truly cracked open um, the market for storage in the power sector yeah. and changed the way we think about and plan for the grid. You know, it's, um, it, is, it is a game changer. Janice, I mean, I saw you, one of the videos. I saw Ron Nichols, my friend Ron Nichols, on there. Who yes. were some of the other? Yeah. yeah. Who were some of the other people that you think of that were had that vision to make it punch story? Oh. Well, you know, the the first was um, then Attorney General Jerry Brown and his staff. There's quite a few people I worked with there. That um, I'll tell you, that's a really funny story because I had already started the California Energy Storage Alliance. And we got a call from the attorney general's office. <laughs> I remember taking the call and I'm like, oh, okay. Um, can I call you back? Hung up. I called my co-founder, Don Liddell, who is a regulatory attorney. And I said, Don, 
the AG's office just called me. What should I do? And he said, don't call them back. We need to think about it. We can't do anything. Okay, Janice, you can call them back. And um, they were reaching out about storage because Jerry Brown and his staff understood that as we would achieve more and more renewables penetration, we would have a mismatch, right? We were going to have to match production and demand. And they wanted to talk to us about storage policy and storage legislation. And that is how Assembly Bill 2514 came about. Um, so Jerry Brown was a sponsor. Um, we were the lead advocate. And um, sent, at that time, Assembly member Nancy Skinner um, was the author. Yeah. yeah. And she is my Assembly member and now Senator here in Berkeley. <laughs> Wow, how how great, how great! There's a whole string there, people. Like we could have a whole podcast on the amazing people that made the storage industry happen for the power sector. Right, it's been right. quite a fun ride. Yeah, now I, I was just reading that we're up to about four gigawatts of storage uh, in California. We have a state goal of 48 gigawatts. I guess you know I think, yeah. think of the state as being about a 50 gigawatt power system and. We want to have about 48 gigawatts of storage, I guess four hour, six hour, whatever it's going to be. But we're really we're really on a uh, trajectory to make the renewables, I call it the renewables revolution possible through storage, right? Yeah, it's it's just amazing. Um, I'm so proud of California and, and it's happening all over the world, too. Um, but anyway, it was actually through storage that I got interested in green hydrogen. It was in 2016, we asked a very, maybe 2015, a very simple question, which was, what kind of storage are we going to need when we achieve 80, 90, and 100% renewables in the power sector? We did a little analysis um, to uh, a really simple, quick one, where we took the Kaiso Oasis data, and we took all the wind and solar at the margin and just amped it up so that in aggregate, over the course of the year, supply of wind and solar would equal aggregate demand. And then we plotted the results on a daily basis and looked at the, and looked at the graph. And in about five seconds, um, came to the conclusion that we were going to need some serious storage. Yeah. We we're going to need multi-day, weekly, monthly, and ultimately seasonal storage. And so, wow, you know, our portfolio that we have today cannot provide this service. What else can? And I started looking around and about a week later, discovered that hydrogen and green hydrogen was making huge all over the world. And, uh, you know, I was familiar with hydrogen and California's tremendous progress with fueling stations, but this was like big scale hydrogen and that it can be produced at much lower cost than I originally thought. And and that every part of the value chain needed to achieve this kind of seasonal storage existed today commercially. I said, wow, you know, we can do that. We can decarbonize everything. And that's why I started the GHC, the Green Hydrogen Coalition. 
And that's that's a great story. And I, sure enough, just like the other two times, yeah, yeah, a bunch of people pulled me aside and they said, Janice, what are you doing? <laughs> so crazy. You shouldn't talk about this out loud. It's going to, you know, affect your reputation. <laughs> Same thing over and over again. Well, I'm glad you I'm glad you per, per, pursued it. Uh, you know, when when I think about storage, I'm I'm with you. You know, the batteries and lithium ion is really good for two hour storage, four hour storage. But like you're saying, we ultimately need to have seasonal storage. Um, and I was I was quite attracted. I, I actually met Bill Gross, I think, at one of your conferences, same conference in Pasadena, uh, who was the Idea Lab, and he was talking all about the Energy Vault model and the gravity based storage mm -hmm. systems that I think are are just so phenomenal. What's what's your read on that? Is that sort of more of a uh, more of a niche market, and then the green hydrogen you see as being a more ubiquitous sort of technology? We need all of the above, right? Yeah. The power sector, the energy sector is vast, and there's a role for every technology. There's a role for short duration storage, medium term storage, fast responding storage, long duration storage, seasonal multi-day green hydrogen storage. There's also a role for electrification, electric vehicles, fuel cell electric vehicles. The way I see it is we need all of the above to combat and accelerate our transition away from fossil fuels. And, um, you know, it kind of makes me sad sometimes when I see folks on the clean energy technology side fighting with each other. Yeah. Because it's like this, this, argumentation wasted <laughs> effort it should be all of us together versus diesel right <laughs> that's the goal yeah i find i find that also in the consulting world i'm very disappointed when green consultants i consider my my company one of them are competing with other green consultants and there's so much work that needs to be done everybody should be out there supporting one another and and uh mm -hmm. like you said not 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 competing but, but on the on the green hydrogen uh, everybody's asking the same question. How soon will green hydrogen be cost effective? And I mean, you you must be tracking the trajectory of the, the cost drop. What do, you, what do you think? Actually, we've been studying this question for three years. And not only when is it going to happen, but how to make it happen, how to make it happen faster. Um, I'd encourage you to check out our website at the Green Hydrogen Coalition, because a, a few months ago, we published three years of work architecting a green hydrogen economy for Southern California. It's called High Build Los Angeles. And what we found, and I'll share with you in the next few minutes, some of our key findings. Finding number one, at scale, we can achieve delivered green hydrogen like right into the port of LA at the pipeline under a dollar a kilogram. That's really exciting because a kilogram of hydrogen has the equivalent energy content as a gallon of diesel. To achieve that, it requires um, scale. It requires mass scale production. It requires um, pipeline transport and connection to geologic storage. And the reason you need all those components is you have to go big scale and the storage um, helps you balance seasonal demand. It's the same reason why we have underground geologic storage of natural gas. Yeah. Those are all very encouraging findings. We think all of this can be achieved by 2030 for a place like Los Angeles. 
Janice, let me hold the hold. Just let me interrupt you for a second here. Uh, okay. That, that's incredibly encouraging. But let's talk about what is a kilogram of uh, regular hydrogen cost, uh, or gray hydrogen, or brown hydrogen, or what is that? Is I thought that was around a dollar fifty a kilogram, and I thought green hydrogen right now was around five dollars a kilogram. Am I? Yeah, that's about oh. right. Yeah, that's okay. about right. But so um, you're saying that by 2030, if we had all of these elements of scale for LA, that we could come in under the cost of, of conventional hydrogen uh, with green hydrogen by 2030? 100%. That's a great finding. It is a great finding. And, you know, our view is finding ways to accelerate this vision is worth everyone's effort because it creates an economic value proposition for fuel switching. If we can solve for an alternative zero carbon fuel, you know, in our view, history will just kind of take care of itself, right? Economic forces will prevail. So this is very exciting news. And, you know, there are skeptics who say this is going to take a really long time. Um, I tend to be an optimist and think yeah. about, again, the ways that you can work on the value side of the equation, create alignment, build champions, because this is a vision that's worth fighting for. And it, and it, is, a, it is a vision that, that flies in the face of a lot of the uh, sort of the buzz in the industry, which is all the decarbonization, building decarbonization through electrification and swapping out boilers and, and um, any, any swapping out and just going over to heat pumps. But now, and, and I know that there's a headlong surge to get rid of natural gas in our homes and just chefs are upset about their cook stoves and everything, but, but green hydrogen is another, another option, right? Yeah, well, please don't misinterpret what I'm saying. I, I think that there is a role for all of the above. We support electrification. Again, the name of the game is speed. Uh, you know, if you're looking around and <laughs> we don't have a lot of time to make a difference here. Um, so uh, there is a role for electrification. There is a role for, we need to go as fast as possible on all fronts. And, and hydrogen is uh, certainly for hard to abate sectors, one of the only solutions that may be possible. I used to tell people the reason I got into green hydrogen is that I wanted my kids to be able to someday, I don't know, fly home to Taiwan or Sydney, Australia, Singapore on a zero carbon flight. Yeah. And at that time, people would say, Janice, don't say that out loud. No one's going to take you seriously. Well, I'm here to tell you that that's happening. I mean, look at what Airbus is doing. Yeah. There are several startups that have already... Uh, demonstrated fuel cell flight. Airbus uh, is not only developing fuel cell powered airplanes, um, but is looking into combustion and turbines. I mean, there's so much innovation. This is absolutely going to happen. And, um, you know, certain airlines are already using sustainable aviation fuel produced with green hydrogen. And I like what you said about green hydrogen being applied in those sectors. You, you put it more eloquently than I can remember, but the hardest to reach sectors or the hardest to convert mm -hmm. sectors. And, and perhaps aviation is one of those. Oh yeah. You know, others include maritime shipping, 
um, heavy duty trucking, um, clean firm dispatchable power for um, multi-day dispatch in the power sector, right? We need that in the power sector to balance the grid. And right now the best solution is combust natural gas. Um, so if you believe in a future that has less reliance on fossil fuels, green hydrogen has to be in it. And can I say something about what I mean when I say green hydrogen? Because there's a lot of confusion about that. Sure. Um, the green hydrogen coalition absolutely supports a carbon intensity framework. There are many ways to produce green hydrogen. We think of green hydrogen as any pathway that does not involve fossil fuels and has climate integrity. So as you know, hydrogen is a very abundant little molecule. It exists in the universe, often bonded to other things. So you have to produce it. It's an industry that's been around for a very, very long time. Hydrogen, gray hydrogen is an industrial commodity that's produced at scale, traded, it's moved around in pipelines, it's stored underground already. It's commercial. It's very commercial, very mature, but it's mostly made from fossil fuels. And we can use a lot of that same infrastructure and uh, produce some new, it's important to make a whole bunch more, um, but instead of producing the hydrogen from fossil fuels, we can make it from renewable resources. Most people are familiar with water as a feedstock. You can use renewable electricity, split the water, you get hydrogen and oxygen. Organic waste is another great source for the production of hydrogen. Biogas. Um, actually, you know, truth be told, I think the waste streams that humans make um, create all kinds of problems on the planet. And there are pathways and tremendous innovation underway to repurpose those waste streams, solve a problem in that, that sector, and use it as a feedstock to make a very usable, very valuable zero carbon fuel, but you have to do it responsibly. And that's why I love hydrogen so much because remember how I got started way back when it was either renewable energy or garbage and then like <laughs> coming back <laughs> full circle and getting to work in both. Oh, great. Hey, listen, we, uh, we're, at, we're at time here and we could, you and I could talk for a lot longer. We'll have to do another session, another podcast together because, uh, you are you're speaking my language and you're speaking truth and i just love the way you uh the logic uh that that you spew forth but i do want to ask you one question before i let you go you got so much going on in your life uh obviously you mentioned kids also how do you how do you balance everything you look like you're healthy you look relaxed what's the, what's the secret mindfulness you know time is precious and that's our most precious commodity. And so my philosophy on life is to make every minute count, whether I'm working with family, with friends. Uh, it's so important to um, spend every day and have no regret. And so one thing I have to really watch is I love my work so much is like I could spend all my time doing that. So an intentionality to specifically not do that. Yeah. <laughs> that is, yeah, that's that's the thing I think about every day. That mindfulness. Janice, thanks so much for your time today. How great. 
Thanks, Ted. I really enjoyed chatting with you. Have a great day. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Bye. That's it. Thanks for listening to Flanagan's Ecologic. We'll see you next time. Thank you.